Hello again, and welcome back to Farron Film. This is part two of mine and Ollie's chat about the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise. Today we're going to be looking at Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, right, let's get into Jurassic World. I am conscious that we've been on this call for an hour and a half and we've been talking Jurassic Park probably for an hour and 15 minutes. And <laughs> about to mention a genetically modified hybrid dinosaur and you might lose your head a little bit. Honestly, so, I do think that was the natural progression. Like they've already talked about like gene splicing anyway. So right. I do think it, I do actually think it makes sense. Okay. Because I I was a bit disappointed with what I think it was a bit obvious what they blended and it was a bit of a disappointment. Oh my god, that's what they blended to me. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. duh. Like obviously yeah. there's raptor DNA in there. Like how could you not? It looks like a giant raptor. Of course it's got raptor DNA. So uh, Jurassic World was 2015. Steven Spielberg devised a story for a fourth film in 2001 during the production of Jurassic Park 3. In 2002, William Monaghan was hired to direct the script, sorry, hired, hired to write the script with the film's release scheduled for 2005. Early aspects of the plot included dinosaurs escaping to the mainland and an army of genetically modified dinosaur human mercenaries. Monaghan oh, yeah, finished the first, yeah, finished <laughs> the first draft of sorry. the script in 2003. Sam Neill and Richard Attenborough were set to reprise their characters while Kira Knightley was in talks for two separate roles. In 2004, John Sayles wrote two drafts for the script. His first draft in, in, involved a team of... Oh, here we go. <coughs> Dionychus? Dionychus. That one. That's what, that's, that's what the velociraptors actually are. Because velociraptors in real life are about the size of turkeys. But it's a, it's a cooler oh, sounding because right. yeah. that's it. You'd either call it a you you could either call that to be more re, in tune with the size of it. You could either call it a Utah Raptor because they yeah. were found in Utah, but that's not a cool name. You could call it Dinonychus, but that's a bit hard to pronounce. Whereas Velociraptor's quite a marketable name, so I, uh, I get why they've done it. Being trained for use for rescue missions. I think the whole thing of dinosaurs is that Jurassic Park has invaded pop culture that much that we recognise a T-Rex and we recognise a raptor. Yeah. Don't then show me a raptor in another film and say it's something else. It's like, it's a raptor. I don't care if it's the size of a turkey or not. Like, yeah. It's a raptor to me because you've told me it's a raptor and this is film the, 20 years ago. Yeah, this is, the, this is the moment I was talking about. Actually, it's in this film where they actually do a really good job of addressing why the dinosaurs do look so different from what they look like in real life. Right. So, um, Henry Wu, he has that talk with the CEO guy, doesn't he, where he's talking about, you know, this isn't even what they look like. You told me you wanted them to look like this and you wanted me to blend in this because that's what you thought they looked like. And yeah. that's what people want. That's what people are paying to see. Mm. So no, they don't look anything like real. Like they actually address it in quite a good way. And they do highlight, yeah, that's what we thought they looked like. So we made them look like that. And yeah. I could make them look more realistic, but people wouldn't like that. You told me to. Yeah. Like, cause like most of the, like the two, the T-Rex, if it looked like an actual T-Rex now, we'd laugh at it because it basically looks like a giant chicken. It'd be covered in feathers. Yeah. As with the raptors, because they are related to birds and we found evidence, which kind of proves they had feathers on their skin. Yeah. And we wouldn't take that seriously, a giant chicken stomping around. Like, there's a thing I've seen recently where someone's kind of edited in a goose oh. <laughs> like, uh, in that T-Rex scene. Time on the runs. <laughs> right. um, the both, drafts, both previous drafts of the script were scrapped and a new script was being worked on in 2006. Laura Dern was contacted to reprise her role with the film being expected to release in 2008, which was then delayed by the 0708 Riders, Writers Guild of America strike. Mark Prosetovich wrote two film treatments in 2011, which were rejected. Poor guy. Mm. Rise of the Planet of the Apes, screenwriters Rick Jaffa and Adam Silver were hired in 2012 to write an early draft of that script. 2013, Colin Trevorrow was announced as director and co-writer, and it was released in 2015. So a long, weird period of whether or not a new one was going to happen. Yeah. Generally positive reviews. It features a new park, Jurassic World, built on the remains of the original park on Isla Nublar. It features the park run by Simon Masrani, played by Irfan Khan, and Masrani Corp features the return of Dr. Henry Wu, played by B.D. Wong, from the first film. Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas soured heart, while Vincent Vinofrio plays the main antagonist, Vic Hoskins, and the cast also includes Jake Johnson, Lauren Lapkus, Ty Simpkins, Nick Robinson, Omar Sartre, and Judy Greer. The primary dinosaur antagonist is the Indominus Rex, 
a genetically modified hybrid of the T-Rex, as well as other species, including a cuttlefish, a tree frog, a pit viper, and what's supposed to be a twist in the film, the Velociraptor, but actually is quite well... It's the most obvious thing going. Yeah, it's, you kind of knew that that was, that was something that was yeah. going to happen. Um, after a record-breaking opening weekend in which it became the first film to gross over half a billion worldwide in a weekend, Jurassic World generated 1.6 billion in box office revenue, reaching the third, uh, reaching third among the highest-grossing films of all time. It was also the second highest of 2015 and the highest-grossing in the franchise. Furthermore, it's the highest-grossing franchise film ever released by Universal in or just for inflation, and we generally received positive reviews for Trevorrow's, uh, sorry, Colin Trevorrow's direction, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard's performances, the visuals. But the screenplay and the narrative received some criticism. So Chris Pratt's performance got positive reviews. It's fine. It's fine. It's just I mean, I'm not having to go at him. I just think he's really wasted in that. Like he's really boorish. Like the the only bit where his character really does come through is what I think is the best scene in the film, and it's over very quickly in the film. Is the bit where he jumps in with the raptors to calm them down when someone falls in. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I that's mean, my favorite. I, I really like the idea that somebody's can control not control raptors but train them. Train them and tamed them and things like that. I love not in the way that you're supposed to love it. The introduction to his character in both of the films in World and Fallen Kingdom mm. because in World he's tinkering with his motorbike because that's yes. what a man is supposed to do and a man is supposed to look He's like. roofing in the and next in, film. In Fallen Kingdom he's hammering some nails onto a roof because that's what <laughs> yeah. a man is supposed to do. He's not a man, he's a man. Yeah. <laughs> right. But he just like cuz I think cuz Chris Pratt like you look at some of the roles he's had as like Star-Lord in the Marvel universe and it really utilizes him well. And Andy Dwyer in Parks and Rec gets really overlooked because he's not like his hulking behemoth self that he is now. But that's his peak for me. Like he's really funny in Parks yeah. and Rec. And I feel like just because he was the hot young thing for a while, like he was in like Passengers and he was like just the romantic lead and it was a bit beige. And here, I just don't think they gave like, and I think they fixed this a bit in the next one personally. Like, but he's not a particularly fun character in this mm. film. He's very. Oh, very by the numbers. Oh, da, da, like very macho and yeah, and it doesn't work. Like I, when I, when I hear about him being Indiana Jones, I don't think that works because he's such a man's man. I think it works because he's got a cheeky side to him. And I mean, I felt like this was almost his audition for Indiana Jones. Yeah, definitely. But it was it wasn't a very good one. I didn't think because yeah. Indiana Jones has a sense of humor about him, and he's clever. And you like you didn't get that vibe from him. And as much as I love. Vincent D'Onofrio, like his character is even even he can't save this character from being pretty poor because it's like oh I want to use dinosaurs in the military. You do understand that this military has drones, right? You have you can send a predator drone over an enemy encampment and just bomb them from orbit with an Xbox controller. Why have you got such a why why are you so set? on getting dinosaurs and sending them in. Meh. Like, I don't, like, oh, like, it's just, if it was BD, if BD1 was like, oh, I'll sell them to the military, you know, if Henry Wu was doing that, you could go for the mad scientist trope and that's a bit more understandable. Mm -hmm. And they try and make him out to be a bit of a villain in these two films, but I don't know, maybe it's because BD1 himself is such a likeable guy that you don't get the vibe that he's villainous. It's a weird one where as soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, there's the scientist from the Yeah, first. that's Henry Wu. We oh, like him. Yeah. Um, right, so half a billion in a weekend. I remember tweeting when they, they totted all of it up and realised that it had taken half a billion in a weekend. Mm. Just like, I have no complaints about that whatsoever. Like, if any film is going to gross half a billion in a weekend, I'm happy it's this film. Um, I love this. This is my second favourite after the park. And I think it's just because there's so much nostalgia and there's so much fan service in it. Where I was 25, sat there going, that throws back to that. Oh, that throws back to that. Oh, yeah. look, look, look. Um, Royally fell into this. The first trailer with Owen and the Raptors really got me excited. Yes. Just yes. like, oh my God, this is like, look at that now. Um, because again, I think this is an issue with the other ones. But I, you wonder how they would do it. 
you have the kind of slow scenes of like, oh, we're going to stroke a dinosaur who's poorly, or we're going to stroke a nice dinosaur that we know eats leaves, um, but we're going to vilify the rest of them. Yeah. And we're not going to move on away from that at all. Whereas this was like, I'm going to work with raptors. I'm all on board for that. Yeah. Um, I loved seeing the fully functioning park. And just yeah. the idea of this is what it was supposed to be. And this is, you know, they finally figured it out and all that kind of this stuff. This was his vision, yeah. Yeah, weird tidbit. Um, I was actually on Radio 5 Live talking <laughs> about um, Jurassic World when it came out because I was listening to, I think it must have been a half term, I was listening to Commodore Mayo. They'd reviewed it on the show. We'd been to see it the night before. I text in and then we'd gone out somewhere and I got a phone call saying, and this is one of the researchers on Five Live. You text in to come over Mayo earlier. We need some views on the film for Drive. Do you want to come and drive and talk about it? And I had about two minutes just to go, yeah, it was really good. It was like Alan Hamm's dream and da-da-da. It was the part was this and da-da-da. And then I yeah. got like, cut off right at the end of the yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was good. It was brief, but it was memorable. Um, right. Two things with issues here. One of them is one that I mentioned to you earlier. I don't think of it's an issue, but apparently people do. Apparently Bryce Dallas Howard shouldn't have worn heels and couldn't have ran in heels. Um, as men, which, Ollie, I know you have a musical theatre background and you might have done things in that. I've never <laughs> worn high heels before, um, so I can't really comment. But I, is it, does it really... Should take them off? I'm sure there is a point where she takes them she off. She takes them off because it's a because it's also symbolism. She's throwing away her corporate life. Yeah. I don't know, but like it, it does it does go back to the idea of we clock the T T Rex at thirty five miles an hour, but this you know this red headed corporate woman is that running one now? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think the, there's a scene as well where she kind of she takes the top off and she kind of unbuttons herself and rolls her sleeves up and like mm. Owen goes what's that supposed to mean? She goes, I'm ready. It does fall into that trope as well, because literally both of them, I think we'll talk about it as well with Fallen Kingdom, but the, the, their relationship is, oh, they used to day and now they're at loggerheads. I wonder if they're going to get back together. Like, why not just have them as like strangers at the beginning or of this one, at least? Do it twice. Yeah. Where you go, oh, they used to date. Oh, they've kissed now, so they must be back together. Yeah. Oh, we're going to do another film, but they used to date, and now they're not dating anymore because he thinks that he don't tell, she thinks that he, she don't care. Yeah. Oh, there's still a spark there. I think the idea of them being strangers might have been interesting in that if she's supposed to oversee the park and then doesn't know who he is. Yeah. And even though he's a very important employee. Yeah. And it's, it's like the idea of like the big boss manager doesn't know their own employees. Yeah, and you know? maybe if you're in corporate, you know, it can be a big thing of like that's he be an important person to have told that you're melding raptor DNA yeah. into something, but he she didn't do that because it was like oh well yeah yeah. And I, the kids I find really annoying. I get why they're there to give um, what's it Claire someone to care about, even though she doesn't care about them at the beginning. Yeah. She sends yeah. her assistant to take care of them. And her assistant dies. I feel like they were gunning for, like, maybe there was a draft of the script where her assistant was like a villain or something. Because her death is so overkill. Like, it has to be a villain death. Pterodactyl. Yeah. She gets picked up by by a pterosaur. (laughs) They're pecking at her. And then it drops her in the, and it's dunking her under the water. Like, and then the Mosasaur comes up and destroys. (laughs) It's like, how much did one person need to die? Like, oh if you'd done that to, to what's it, uh, Vic Hoskins, I'd get it. Like, they're really trying to be vitriolic with yeah. the villain's death and really go overboard and like, yeah, die, you bad, bad person. But he just but, gets smashed uh, by boom. Yeah. And I th- yeah, and I think, like, I can't get past the effects in this one. Like, the effects are really disappointing in this. Like, they really lean on the CGI. Do you think? Yeah, I think they do. Like, the only practical effects I can really remember is the... You remember where they have the scene where it's like, oh, my God, it's haunting them for sport. It's not yeah. even eating them. And there's that one, I want to say, Diplodocus that's on the ground and they're, like, cradling its head. Mm. That's the only practical effect yeah. for the dinosaurs that I can remember. Uh, like I still this, like it. It just... They do look a bit waxy to me. Like, I remember thinking, like, the CGI... Like, what year did it come out again? 2015? 2015. 2015. So effects from 
what's it nearly from 22 years before look better than this or mm. i might i think my maths might be slightly off there but like yeah, i know what you mean though yeah from like more like wh- like more than 20 years ago but it's looks... not it's not even that the effects look better it's the use of them it's mm. not the actual effect it's the fact that spielberg made sure that he did it he covered it in rain it was dark it was all yeah. that kind of stuff. knowing that actually it is quite limited Whereas I think maybe nowadays you kind of you've got people just going, look how good CGI is. Yeah, and they got their costume. Sometimes what, it is, sometimes it isn't. One know. bit which I do remember being really good is where just just after the Indominus has won the Raptors over, and you get that kind of found footage vibe yeah. where all the soldiers cams, and it's like because it's really fuzzy, the Raptors look great because they're really quick, and it's you've got the panic movement in there. And I would like. Like found footage films, I know are a bit hit or miss for people. I think if they're done right, they're brilliant and they're terrifying. Yeah. And can you imagine like a well handled found footage Jurassic Park film? Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be epic. Where you've got a di- where you've got dinosaurs just stalking them every now and then, and it's just like you hear the rustle in the trees, and like it doesn't matter. Like you don't need to focus on the effects so much, and you can just have the head appear and. The whole aesthetic of that sequence of the dark forest and the lasers and all, I yeah. love that sequence. I think that's really great. It was a bit much him riding through the jungle on his motorbike with his raptors by his side, though. I thought that was it's a, a bit... bit much. Yeah, the guy who likes diehard. Right. It's fairly realistic. His feet get shredded by glass. I don't know. I just decided to throw a jab in there. Yeah. Um, right. The one big nitpick that I've got, and this I've I've mentioned it in terms of something else that I have a nitpick with. So. In Shazam, there mm. is a scene where a kid pulls out his memorabilia collection and yes. he says, look, I've got an Aquaman t-shirt and I've got all these things that are related to these superheroes that exist in our world. Yeah. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if Aquaman was a real superhero, he wouldn't have a clothing line in the supermarket. He wouldn't have maybe toys made after him or anything like that, right? Because... It's not that you're trying to make money off them. It's that they're, they're actually real and you've had aliens invade and you've had people do all this kind of stuff and you need them and you're not monetizing them through supermarkets. I do right? think that's something that corporations would do, though. No, like, but they, they might do and they might try it. But the last thing that it's going to be is it's not going to be the logo that you then release on the DVD of the film. That you're oh, right. I see what you mean. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that is that bothered me when I watched it. So I the fact that... the the Jurassic Park logo is the T-Rex so skeleton. It's, right, it's the Jurassic Park logo because as much as that is iconic, as much as I have that on a poster in my be- in my classroom, right, and as much as we're recording this before Christmas, I know Amy's got me a keyring for Christmas that has the Jurassic Park logo on it, but it's got the Japanese text on like the word oh, okay. say Jurassic Park. It looks mint. I love it. Um, <laughs> Like, that's all good. That's all fine. That is the thing that we need as the audience to symbolize to us. This is the icon of this franchise. Yeah. Jake Johnson's character buying a T-shirt for $150 that was from the original park. Number one, if, if something like this would happen in the real world, right? And just as a kind of example that I've written down, right? Imagine all of the animals break out of Chester Zoo. Right, yeah, and very few people die. Do you think there would be a fad of people trying to buy Chester Zoo brand potties? Yeah, no, and wearing no. them in public or, or getting some not. of the teddies? No, no. <laughs> I mean, the dark web can do what the dark web wants to do, right? <laughs> but for, for a second, I do not buy into the fact that you would be able to buy merchandise that links to the kind of the, the first park that looks coincidentally similar to the merchandise that we're supposed to buy as audiences who then access the film. There's it is a- way too much of a wink and a nod for us. Yes. It's, a, it's it? a very blurred line there. And it's almost, it's, it's very kind of postmodern and very kind of like self-referential of, you know, the t-shirts that you can buy at home on Amazon or on all these kind of other different websites that say Jurassic Park Park Ranger on it. Yeah. Or a wink and a nod to something similar that someone would have worn in the film. But the minute that you've got somebody wearing a Ragland t-shirt with a distressed Jurassic Park logo on, which yeah. you know they've probably just bought for America's sake from Hot Topic on the morning of filming. Yeah. That's not, it doesn't, doesn't correlate. Yeah. To- okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I can buy it. I, I, 
that's never bothered me as much, but now that you've, like, I bet it will now. So thanks. It for is, it is just a massive nitpick, is all yeah. it is. Um, and I suppose you could go down the route as, of saying as well that, like, he's drinking from a soda, like, cup, which has the Jurassic World branded logo on the front. Now, fair enough if you're using that for the park and it being the same logo that you then use to kind of publicize and advertise the film. They're clearly going for the, this is the real monster though, isn't it? Like, you know, this is the thing that's ever present. It's everywhere. It's permeated lives. I guess my nitpick as well with this would be the, like they're talking about their profits going down. Who's getting bored of seeing dinosaurs? Well, there was one thing at the beginning. It made, it made me think of this when they opened Jurassic World in the film, in the first film in Jurassic Park, they say that they're going to have like, it's going to be like 10 grand a ticket. Yeah. Or it's going to be 20 grand a ticket. Or they could charge that much and people will pay it. Yeah. And then Hammond says, well, we'll have like, it needs to be affordable because everybody should be able to witness it. Yeah. Ev- everybody who has access to their own private helicopter, Hammond. Yeah. There's no runway on that island. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the lawyer says, oh, well, we'll have a coupon day. Yeah. Like, to me, with World, when you see them like, and there's a hotel there and things like that, and they have to, you, have, you go so far and you get on a ship to take you there. That, to me, all makes sense. I was like, right, I can see that happening. Like a parody of Disney World, isn't it? Yeah, so, I mean, if you've got a three-day ticket, you're going to have the hotel for two nights or something like that. Yeah. But this idea of, like, profits, like you say, profits aren't going to go down because it's always going to be popular, right? Yeah, like Chester, Chester not... Zoo have only struggled in the during this pandemic. Now, people aren't thinking, oh, I've seen a tiger before, I'm bored. Yeah, like, people like... are like, no, I'm going to go and see a tiger again because seeing a tiger last time was awesome. You could get your fill of going to the zoo once a year, right? You go to the zoo once a year, you're around however many, let's say, million of people live around that zoo who maybe go every other day. Yeah. You're never all going to go at once because you yeah. won't be able to. So it's not going to, you know, run out of money anytime soon. Mm. And then you're sticking branding on bleeding everything and probably charging all over the odds for that. So you're never going to mm. run out of profit, are you? I've just remembered a little Steven Spielberg trick, which is in this one. It's in, I can think of it in two of the others. But it's something, it's, you talked about Jurassic Park being something where he has all those tropes. But Steven Spielberg has this thing where he's like, oh, I, I want this one random scene to seem like really naturalistic dialogue. So he yeah. has two conversations going on at the same time. And it's a trope mm-hmm. I don't... Re- so he has like, like there's me and you talking now and you may be having a back and forth. And then yeah. someone next to us is having their own conversation. And he films them both. And you don't get a word of either of them. Oh, right, okay. So in this one, it was like the, uh, Judy Greer is talking to the young son who I hate because I hate him in Iron Man 3 as well. I think he's really annoying. Um, Poor Ty Simpkins. What's he done to you? He's just, eh? he's just like, everything I do, I let it. Shut up. With your curly, stupid hair, I'm going to shave it off if I ever meet you. But um, like she's having a conversation with him and the older brother's like looking at a girl creepily because that's all he does the entire film. Oh, yeah. And the dad, like, whilst his conversation is, conversation is just like, Zach, listen to your mom. And like in the first film, it's Hammond talking to, I think, Ellie Sattler uh, after the raptors have eaten the cow and Muldoon's having a chat with Alan Grant about the raptors. And you can't yeah. hear evil. And I get that it's like, oh, but it's realistic. That's what actually happens. It's like, yeah, but... There's some, I'm sure there's some story beats here that we're missing and we don't get them, but I don't I've know if I've been more convinced of a film being shot on a set or like a soundstage than the beginning of Jurassic World where you see the house and the outside of the house where you can't see any other houses or yeah. any like close neighbours and the dad's just in the car like, I'm going to pretend to drive this car in a minute. Yeah, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a projection screen on my window in a second. Yeah. And yeah. mum and dad are getting divorced, and we're never gonna address that again. Oh yeah. I think it's telling that they didn't appear in the next film at all because they were just they annoying. got divorced. Yeah. Um, right, let's move on to Fallen Kingdom then. I mean, are you in agreement that you like World? Let's just finish that one up. I don't know. It's kind of like I don't hate it. Okay. It's just it. I'll tell you what we'll do at the end. We'll rank them. Okay. Right? Okay. I've already decided, by the way, and everyone will know this by them being released, I've already decided to split this one into two because we've gone too long again as it is. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Right. Uh, Right. 2018 Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. So, a sequel to Jurassic World released on June 22nd, 2018, directed by J.A. Boyena and written by Colin Trevado and Connolly, who also written... 
who written who also wrote the first one. I'm just trying to figure out what his first name was so I can give him the full credit and I cannot see it in my notes whatsoever. So we'll come back to that shortly. Mm. Um, with Trevaro and Spielberg as exec producers, the film stars Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Rafe Spall, Justice Smith, Diana Pinella, uh, sorry, Diana Pineda, Jim Cromwell, Toby Jones, Ted Levine, B.D. Wong, Isabella Sermon, Geraldine Champlin. And do you remember hearing, seeing, reading that, oh my goodness, Jeff Goldblum is going to be back in the second one? And How long? Ended the film in a couple of Yeah, and look, and didn't look anything like Ian Malcolm. He just looked like a sad man with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't talk like Ian Malcolm. He well, we, have, he... we have three versions of Ian Malcolm. So. Yeah, he did. He didn't <laughs> no. do because the whole point is like Ian Malcolm was like peak Jeff Goldblum with his uh, uh, you're uh, packaging it, uh, you're uh, selling it, and now uh, we're going to talk in this kind of uh, weird dialect where we're going to have the upward inflection and uh, lots of us and ums and us in there. Like, that just wasn't there at all. And it's it's a weird... I do think, though, this film uses Chris Pratt a lot better. Okay, so we'll I, that now. Yeah. So, um, Connolly was Derek Connolly. Apologies, Derek. Just wanted to give you the credit. Um, <laughs> so dur- during early conversations on Jurassic World, Spielberg told Trevorrow that he was interested in having several more films made. In 2014, Trevorrow announced sequels to Jurassic World had been discussed. We wanted to create something that would be a little bit arbitrary and episodic and something that would potentially arc into a series that would feel more complete. Trevorrow said he would direct the film if asked and then told Spielberg that he would only focus on directing one film in the series. You hypocrite. Uh, Trevorrow then delivered, believed that different directors would bring different qualities to future films, kind of akin to Harry Potter, I suppose, in what they started to do there. With Fantastic um, Beasts and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. J.A. was once considered to write direct Jurassic World, but declined as he felt that there was not enough time for production. Filming took place between February to July 2017 in the UK and Hawaii again. Former Jurassic World manager Claire Deering and Velociraptor handler Owen Grady join on a mission to rescue Isla Nublar's dinosaurs from a volcanic eruption, a volcano that we didn't know was on there Mm. uh, from the film before and the first film. Um, I mean, to be fair, it would make sense if it's a little chain of islands. Like, if it's anything like Hawaii, they would be volcanoes. Oh, there would be one. Yeah, but... but, You've reminded me of the um, Pixar Lava film now. Yeah, oh, God. I I hate that. It makes me cry every time I see it. It's like, it gets me in the heartstrings every time. And and I'm pretty sure it was theatrically released with uh, Inside Inside Out Out as well. Punch, punch. Oh, yeah, no, knockout. Just everything's (laughs) a knockout in that. Just bing bong, take her to the moon for me. (laughs) Okay. Oh, God. but yeah, like the kind of volcano you'd get from that wouldn't be killing because if you, if anyone's ever been to Hawaii, the kind of volcanoes you get there are not the kind of volcanoes that can kill dinosaurs. There's a bit of lava. Oh, right. Um, okay. Like if you, if you go uphill, you're fine. Right. Like, fair enough. Like what you get. To be fair, they show the kind of volcano that would kill dinosaurs because it's the one where it's like clouds of ash and pyroclastic flows and stuff like and it's really weird because the film kind of simultaneously makes us think maybe the dinosaurs need to die because you know that's happened before and maybe it happens again but then it makes us feel really sad for that brachiosaurus that gets left there and it's like and i did but i did feel really sad at that point i don't i think i like this you mean film the, more the really kind of lonesome shot of the brachiosaurus's head yeah just, yeah and just getting caught up in the, I, I that genuinely got me i found that really sad and like i i think this is like I, my take on this film is genuinely that it's like Jurassic Park three on steroids. I don't right. think it's I don't think it's taking itself seriously. So I kind of love this film. I'm opposite. I think it's Jurassic World. Uh, sorry, uh, Lost World mm. on steroids. Um, there's a very there's a lot of similarities. I think. Yeah. So we'll come to that. So um, they discover they being Claire and Owen that the mission is part of a scheme to sell the captured dinosaurs on the black market in order to fund his party's genetic research. Uh, the captured dinosaurs are brought to an estate in Northern California where several of the creatures are auctioned and then shipped to their new owners. I love that, by the yeah. way. I'm going to come to that in a second. Yeah. Um, a new hybrid dinosaur, the Indoraptor, uh, one of the primary antagonists of the first film. I hate the Indoraptor. <laughs> <laughs> I do hate the Indoraptor. Indoraptor. Let's, um, you know how in the last film it was this massive creature that was the antagonist? Let's do that same thing, but like 
use a photocopier and put it on like forty percent size. <laughs> That's how we're gonna do it, guys. Well, but we've solved it. You know what? Actually, with the first film that I forgot to mention, there's a bit where Claire meets with some people and she goes back to talk to Jake Johnson and the, the female actress whose names I can't remember. Um, mm. And and they say, oh, is the, has the deal been done? And she says, yeah, it looks like it's going to be Verizon Wireless presents the Indominus Rex. And he's just like, oh, let's just call it the Tostitosaur and the, you know, the Pepsi, Pepsi Colorosaur and things like that. <laughs> this is where we're going to get to. We're going to end Sponsored dinosaurs, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it forces Owen and Claire to survive the chaos and rampage through the estate. There's a subplot about human cloning, which I do not like whatsoever. Uh, Fallen Kingdom is similar to the second installment, Lost World. It re-explores the themes of the aftermath of the dinosaur's demise on Isla Nublar and dinosaurs being used for exploitation by humans uh, and exploiting them for militaristic applications and other uses. The film grossed over $1.3 billion worldwide, making it the third Jurassic film surpassed the billion dollar mark and was the third highest grossing of 2018 with the 12th highest grossing of all time. It received mixed reviews from critics who praised Pratt and Howard's performances by his direction, the visuals and the darker tone, but others suggested the series had run its course and criticized the film and the narrative, uh, the screenplay and the narrative. I don't think it's run its course. I think you're just being cruel there by saying that. <laughs> um, right. So a couple of things from me then. This idea of the moral question of dinosaurs facing extinction due to the volcanic explosion, fine, right? I get yeah. that. You're going you're gonna to underpin it in social context. I hate the idea of cloning, and I hate the idea that he's cloned a kid. He's cloned his daughter because he wants his daughter back, and it's not actually his granddaughter. I and things know. like I, that. I quite liked that because it would explain, like, I guess it would explain why they put so much into it because that's how that is ultimately how they got the dinosaurs they are clones. yeah but i could see it for use for dinosaurs but then when you're bringing it in and saying oh we did it on a kid like i'm, I'm not it's i mean I, maybe they should have portrayed him as more of a mad scientist then to make that feasible but i get yeah. like in the context of the story i get why he did it he was pretty broken after the death of his very young daughter so he get like he uses the technology yeah and like maybe it should have focused on that more as a bit like oh that's kind of weird and icky yeah um, I, can under, I can understand the motivation yeah it's just it, doing it it was to me just a one step too far I was think. it a bit jumping the shark for you a little bit yeah yeah um, i get I, I get it like i just i i think it earned it as a plot twist though i think do you know what i mean like it wasn't a plot twist that yeah. doesn't make any sense and like you see the picture of her mom uh, and it's like, oh god, she's the spit of a mom, isn't she? And you're and you think, oh, is that just lazy filmmaking? They just cast her as her mom when she was younger. It's like, no, no, that that's just her. And I did quite like, but then it leads to, like, it's quite dis at the end of the film, they're gonna let the dinosaurs die because that gas is right. You know, the, for some reason, there's like toxic gas in this area, and it's flooding where the dinosaurs are. And Claire and Owen are like look, it's heartbreaking, but we've got to let them die. Like we, if like the only way to save them is to release them and we can't do that to the world. And then just so sequels can happen, I feel like the little girl does it. It's like, I had to, they're alive because I'm alive. It's like, oh, yeah. I, I, I thought it was quite a mature ending to address, like we're going to let these creatures die. Like I quite... I know it's dark and I know I'm like, this is why I've got my title as Edgelord. But I do like some, I do like it when a film has got the balls to do something quite no, dangerous like that. that. Like almost in the same way with Thanos and Infinity War and things like that. There's some truth to the argument on that side. You can understand yeah. it on that side of he's like, the, the universe has gone a little bit too far. So I'm going to decimate half of you. Yeah. And it's kind of like every, he has really valid points and he has points where you can kind of go. Yeah, I agree. Deciding to kill all the dinosaurs at the end of a Jurassic Park film, number one, you're not going to make another one, then are you? Unless you spin it another way, and all of a sudden there's. Well, you a could site just say B. like they were all on one. They already had a site B. Yeah, they've got more right. than one site where the dinosaurs are. So they just say, if we need more dinosaurs, we've got them on site B. But like, following up the conversation of, we shouldn't have made these dinosaurs. There's nowhere for these dinosaurs to go. Maybe it was a little bit cruel. The best thing possibly to do is to kill them. Mm. Actually, I think a vast majority of the audience would go. You know what? You're probably right. Like, yeah. there's probably a re like everything Jeff Goldblum says about they had their time, and that's yeah. now why they're gone. And you've tried to bring them back, and now all of a sudden you're worried about whether or not they should still be here. Like, mm. you know, stick to your convictions a little bit. Yeah, like I, 
I mean, in, if, if if this was real world, I'd be on Hammond's side. I'd want them back. Like, on an island far, far away. <laughs> but I, I'd i want them. Like, I'd be really like the idea of knowing that they're there somewhere. It's, stu- it's stuff like, you know, Alan Grant starts crying in the first film because he sees that the Brachiosaurus, are mo- you know, he has that line, they move in herds. They do move in herds. Because he had this theory that they move in herds his entire life. And because they're dinosaurs and they're all dead, He's had no way to prove that other than a few rocks and fossils here. Now he sees them alive for the first time and he sees their behavior and then moving in herds and it's overwhelming for him. Like that kind of stuff I'd be on. And that's what I do love about that scene in the first film, going back to it, like where they're having that argument. You 100% get where Richard, ha- where John Hammond's coming I keep saying Richard Hammond, where John Hammond's coming from, where it's like, you know, you wouldn't bat an eyelid if I brought another species back from extinction. How can we stand on the brink of this? You know, this is, you know, this is a chance to learn and all of that. But then you also get where the scientists are coming from, where it's like, this is dangerous. How can we know what's going to happen with this? Mm. Um, I'd much prefer the extraneous characters in this one as well, though. Like a lot, like Justice Smith rubs a lot of people up the wrong way in this. And I don't get why, because I think he's quite funny. Yeah. I quite like him in this, because I really liked him in... Um, Detective Pikachu as well. I've seen that. It's it's the best video game movie I've ever seen. It's really. I'm, I'm really intrigued by it just because I'm yeah. a fan of Pokemon. I am. Oh, yeah, well. it's. Yeah. I think it. I think it leans on Pokemon. Side note. I think it leans on Pokemon just the right amount. Okay. I don't think it expects you to know too much going in, but it also doesn't treat you like a complete beginner to Pokemon. I would imagine there's a lot of fan service in it as well. Though. There's a there's a fair amount, but it's you'd be surprised how I, I was surprised by how little fan service though. I think the okay. biggest fan service is that they treat Mewtwo like the god of Pokemon, which I'm right. a fan of because Mewtwo's all Mewtwo's my boy. Right. But um like I don't care about all these legendaries that have come afterwards. Mewtwo would destroy them all. I don't care. Original 150 is all yeah exactly I don't know 151 because you got a Mew in there. Oh, you got well. Mew in there as well. Yeah. Right fair enough. But um, yeah, I like the extraneous characters in it. I really like Rafe Spall in this as well, actually. I think he was a good choice for this role. Because you know what bothers me about it? Right? I like Rafe Spall and I like Toby Jones. Right? Yeah. Just have them as English. Why have yeah. we got to put accents on? Like, Rafe Spall does a very good job of it, I think. No, he does. Like, he does. He's good at Toby it. Jo- Toby Jones is a bit distracting because he's Toby Jones that. is very kind of like, like... Yeah, same. <laughs> we got an Ankylosaurus. It's an armoured dinosaur. Where are yeah. your dinosaurs? But Toby Jones is a good enough actor where you know that that was just poor direction. Like, he could yeah. do it. Like, you, he did a brilliant German accent in the Marvel films. Yeah. Like, or, well, you know, it may, maybe it was a bit of a moustache twirling <laughs> German accent. But, you know, for Marvel, that's fine. But, like, Rafe Spall, I think, was a really good choice for a villain because he's very unassuming. You're not looking at him, in the, like, even though, if you, like, in hindsight, you're probably like, oh, he's going to be the bad guy. because he. But I think they did a good job of not picking, like, like a guy Pierce, almost. Yeah, somebody a bit too. Yeah, like, someone who's, like, slickly handsome. And it's yeah. like, oh, well, he's a scumbag. I don't like it. Rafe Spall's quite, a, portrays himself very successfully as a likable person. Right up until devilish. Kills, yeah. yeah, right up until he kills James Cromwell. Yeah. Which, which was stupid of me, because James Cromwell's like, person who I'm going to call the police on, hand me that phone so I can call the police. Yes. <laughs> what? By the way. How did you think you. that was going to end? <laughs> <laughs> oh one second just let me it's not yeah. charged i'll plug it in. Uh, oh sorry there you go yeah well you, yeah. you told me to do it so guess about it. like i know this is a flawed film and there are several aspects to it i don't like and i do think it's a bit convoluted and weird but i do kind of love it because i think i i like i said it i don't think it takes itself too seriously i 100 percent get though why you view it more like as a lost world film rather than mm. Jurassic Park. i do get that I just think there's so much stuff that's so similar to it and the idea that they've got, they've got to go back to try and rescue some, they're then bringing it into the kind of contemporary setting of this is humans and dinosaurs and how are they going to coexist? Mm. Um, you know, you've got these extra characters, these extra side characters, like you mentioned, you've got a little bit of a tease of we're back on the park and we're doing all this kind of stuff. Um, my favourite thing about it is the aesthetic, is the... It's dark, it's rainy. Like you can go through pathetic fallacy all you want, but that I that kind of like final sequence with the indoor raptor with boy with them on the roof. I love yeah. that. I love that. Um the yeah, the cloning subplots I'm not too much of a fan with, but I do like the whole like rich people buying dinosaurs. Yeah. If you know anything about rich people, 
They're stupid. They seem, and they, they did, will buy yeah. things because they've got money. They did seem to be going for really cheap. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, like a couple of million or whatever it is. Or, you yeah. know, something well, I've been like expecting that. that, but I swear they were going for like hundreds of thousands. It's oh, like, probably, what? Probably, yeah. But what? it's just, it's that idea. And I suppose it is the commentary on all of these people have got tons of money. They have no idea what to do with it. They already own 16 cars and you can only drive one at once. Yeah. They've already got three houses and you can only be in one at one time. Yeah. So actually, you tell me I can buy a dinosaur. I'll buy a dinosaur. I did. I, yeah. It's a shame they fall for the greedy villain trope because I'm not a fan of that. Like we yeah. met, I mentioned it in the Disney podcast, didn't I? Yeah. The, like your likes of uh, Ratcliffe and Clayton, when it's just like the villains after money, money. it's a bit boring, but I don't know what they'd get. Like again, Henry Wu is kind of an insane doctor who's just creating some monstrous creatures for it because he wants to create the perfect being. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like again. that would be, that'd be really corny, but that like, that'd be great. And it, again, maybe BD Wong is a bit too likable. Cause even in this, they definitely try harder to make him a bad guy and it still yeah. doesn't quite pay off. Cause it's like, you're BD Wong. You're so likable. You, you know, I just, I want to shake your hand. You're a nice guy. <laughs> and yeah ted levine's like i'm gonna pull teeth out of dinosaurs that i've won it's like it's so strange just like he pulls one out doesn't he and like he just puts it on a like a handkerchief with a load of other ones it's just, i'm gonna go make to be a fair he gets a pretty gruesome death actually because the deaths are actually relatively tame in this series they're all kind of far away and you don't see much and stuff like that where you know like muldoon just gets jumped and then it cuts away uh, Gennaro gets picked up and like swallowed almost whole. Ted Levine gets his arm ripped off in this mm. by the Indoraptor. Yeah. And you see yeah. that and you don't see much blood, but it's quite a, like, y- it is quite a brutal death. Like you see it mauling him. Mm. I mean, why he's getting in the cage with it, I don't know. Well, yeah. Like, I don't care how obsessed you are with your tooth collection, Billy. Like, laughing, is it? Uh, okay, right. So what we'll do is, I'm just going to mention the short film that I sent to you before, which is Battle at Big Rock, which came out in 2019. Um, so it's the first live-action short film of the franchise. It was directed by Colin Trevorrow, co-written by him and Emily Carmichael, and it's set one year after the events of Jurassic World, and a family goes on a camping trip at the fictional Big Rock National Park in Northern California, which is 20 miles from where the dinosaurs in Fallen Kingdom were let loose. Because you would. Yeah. Uh, and what happens in it is that they're kind of referencing the fact that dinosaurs are around and that there's even this kind of wonder of whether or not one of the dinosaurs has given birth. So it's the first dinosaur that's born on American soil in however long. Oh, okay. Um, and a kind of a dinosaur basically rips through the park um, where they are. Um, the family survive, all that kind of stuff. And then the end credits are probably the most interesting bit where there's a lot of this is how they're surviving in natural world. Like there's, I'm sure there's like a petting zoo type thing. And there's a couple of the little small ones from lost world. Um, there's a bit where a dash cam picks up. I think it's either a triceratops or a stegosaurus. Um, there's a bit where a couple get married, they release a dove and a pterodactyl just swoops and kills it and eats it. Um, you know, things like that as like, as it would happen. Yeah. Um, if this is what dominion is and what dominion is going to be, I'll be happy because I just think this third film now just needs to be, dinosaurs are living with us is it that we need to do something about it or what Mm. are we going to do about it so if we move on to dominion as the future of the franchise then so dominion is scheduled to be released in 2022 i think that's still going to happen because they have finished it i believe Mm. it's been directed by colin trevorrow with a screenplay by him and emily carmichael based on a story by him and Derek connolly Trevorrow and Spielberg serve as exec producers with Frank Marshall and Patrick Howie as producers. It stars Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard returning from the Jurassic World films. And we've got the original trio back of Sam Neill, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum also reprising their characters. Back together first time, all three of them. Get the band back together, guys. (laughs) Are we going to get a fourth version of Ian Malcolm or is he going to go back to one of these other ones? But they wear all black, yeah. I mean, modern day Jeff Goldblum, (laughs) he's just, you know... I want to be like at this point, isn't he? Um, we've also got Jake Johnson, Omar Sy, Daniela Padina, and Justice Smith reprising their roles from the previous films. Campbell Scott will be portraying the original character of Lewis Dodgson from the first film. Dodgson, we got Dodgson. Why are we getting Dodgson back? We got Dodgson. See, no one cares. 
Who cares about Dodgson? Like, he's the he's the evil scientist because see everyone at Ingen they were the good scientists because they were making the dinosaurs for altruistic purposes I guess whereas Dodgson was an evil scientist who I don't know <laughs> even even in the context of the original film like that catalyst for the plot is a bit I get they needed a reason for Nedry to do the wrong thing yeah but, yeah so they were. They were writing the script as of April 2018. Trevorrow said that the film would focus on the dinosaurs that went open source after being sold and spread around the world in Fallen Kingdom, allowing people other than Dr. Henry Wood to create their own dinosaurs. He said that the film would be set around the world and that the idea of Henry Wood being the only person who knows how to create a dinosaur was far-fetched after 30 years of technology existed within the film's universe. Whatever. Additionally, the film would focus on dinosaurs that were free Ooh, to be... Michael Gitchy. Say again. Michael Giacchino is doing the music, actually. Yeah, yeah. Which is exciting. Because he's, he's got some fantastic credits. Under- I'm looking at the logo now. And just for those listening. It's a, pu- it's it, a pumpkin type thing, isn't it? Yeah, I was about to say, is this Jurassic Park, Jurassic World? Halloween. Has a, yeah, has a crossover sequence. Is Michael, is Michael Myers going to hunt down a T-Rex and just stab it to death with a kitchen knife? I don't know if it was, if it was a teaser released on Halloween. That's why they did it. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not predicting dinosaurs terrorizing cities and going against going to war against humans. Trevorrow considered such ideas unrealistic. He said that the more interested in a world where dinosaur interaction is unlikely but possible, in the same way that we would watch out for birds and sharks. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's the way to go um, for it, though. Like, not everyone comes up against a cougar. No, right? but you know, don't go jogging <laughs> up there because there's a velociraptor. Just letting yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Certain scenes and ideas regarding the integration of dinosaurs in the world were ultimately removed from the Fallen Kingdom script and saved for the third film. So again, I'm really intrigued and interested in this idea of reintegration into the world. Yeah. Um, Filming began in 2020, but was put on hold due to COVID. It resumed in 2020, in July 2020, and filming has wrapped since then. Um, And in terms of the future... Frank Marshall has said that Jurassic World Dominion may not be the final film in the franchise, but instead would mark the start of a new era in which humans have had to adjust to dinosaurs being on the mainland. Hmm. Okay. So if we're going to wrap this up, then I think we're both in agreement that Jurassic Park is our favorite. Yeah, definitely. I think my least favorite is Lost World. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. Right. If we're ranking them, I would go, I would go bottom Lost World. Mm. then Jurassic 3 then yeah. Fallen Kingdom then Jurassic World then Jurassic Park I think I would just switch around Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom I okay. don't know why Fallen King- like I don't know why I enjoyed Fallen Kingdom as much as I did but I just I just remember Jurassic World did leave me feeling a little bit empty yeah, I can't. I can't really put my finger on what was up with it. It just it felt a bit cynical, I guess. And I have no idea why Fallen Kingdom didn't feel like that when we watched it. But it was, yeah. Like I went. I get maybe it's because I paid money to go and see Fallen. Uh, I paid money to go and see Jurassic World. So I was like, oh, it's great. And then uh, having paid the money, it was like, oh, I kind of regret having gone to see this because I think what one thing that happened actually is I went to see this with someone from work when I was mm. doing one of my first jobs. Um, and I then went to see it with Georgia. I'd like Georgia kind of wanted to see it or watch Mad Max Fury Road. Okay. And Georgia got annoyed with me that I'd gone to see it. So she's like, no, no, we're watching it again. <laughs> I was like, okay. And then, and then I missed out on watching Mad Max in the cinema. And then when I watched Mad Max, I was like, why didn't I watch this one in the cinema right. <laughs> at any point? Like, why did I not insist on this? So maybe I'm tying it in a bit with that. Whereas Fallen Kingdom, I'm pretty sure it came out on like Netflix or Amazon Prime. Mm. We just stuck it on. And I get, yeah, maybe I felt a bit cheated by Jurassic World because I was disappointed and I paid money for it. Whereas with Fallen Kingdom, because I've not paid any additional money that I wouldn't have already because I've got the subscription, I'm thinking, yeah, that was... No, fair enough, yeah. That was that was fine. You know, it was... It didn't take itself seriously. The good, like like you said, it had a, it has a good, nice horror aesthetic, which I think Jurassic, the this franchise does need to lean on a bit more. Mm-hmm. I think it's capable of being really scary, and that's oh, when some, it is. That yeah. is when it's at its best. The T Rex scene, the T Rex introduction in the first film, yeah. 
um, the raptors in the kitchen bit, stuff like that. It's You're making it's... villains out of dinosaurs. You may as well stick to the sort of horror aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, admittedly, you're going to do it to a kind of, to use American terminology, PG-13 rated, you know, audience. You're not going to go R-rated with it, but at the end of the day, you may as well stick to it. And again, I wish they kind of would just go guns out and just have like lost limbs and blood splatters and everything like that's that. where we get the r-rated Jurassic. yeah Park. exactly like you see someone lose a hand and it just spurting blood like yeah. stuff like like when it hints at that like even even the off-screen stuff that they had in lost world even though we both said it's the worst one it's got some very good moments in that like peter stormer's blood coming down the stream and the waterfall yeah, yeah. blood going like it's got some grim stuff in there which is a pretty good the- referred to violence yeah because that's the best kind because you don't know exactly what's going on yeah so your your imagination can be like oh where's the blood coming from whereas mm. you know both both later like rafe spall's character gets like quite viciously eaten by two t-rex and it's like well it's all there and you're, you're not showing me a drop of blood which there'd be buckets of right now because you've torn a human being in half yeah, yeah. like it's very well, much like a cartoon like whereas if it, whereas if the T-Rex had picked him up and then you'd seen the... Sh- then it had cut to, like, the shadow of it dr- ripping him apart like that. You don't need to see any blood there. And, like... Yeah. I don't, like, like Scar's death in The Lion King, it cuts to a shadow so that your imagination can fill in the aspects of yeah, he was born to death and then he was burnt to death. Like, like that's a really effective villain death because you're ima- it lets your imagination play a couple of tricks on you. Whereas here, it's like, no, we're really proud of this CGI. <laughs> I use it all the time. Yeah, yeah, in every single shot. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to Dominion. Yeah, uh, I'll probably. I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's one of those where I'll be like, oh yeah, I'll go and see it in cinema. Or I don't know whether I'll just kind of be like, I'll wait for it to come out on oh, something. I'll be in the cinema. I need something to watch in the cinema. So yeah, I'll be in the cinema. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks once again to Ollie for his time and enthusiasm today. You can help support Farrandon Film by following us on Twitter at Farrandon Film by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash film and leaving a five-star review at your favourite podcast provider. Stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time.